0: Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dwight Chairman of the Respiratory Institute at Cleveland Clinic. This podcast is intended for healthcare providers and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timeless and timely topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical care, allergy, sleep, and infectious disease. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Respiratory Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Tri Wake, the chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And my guest today is Dr. Elliot Dazenbrook. Dr. Dazenbrook is the founder and director of the Adult Cystic Fibrosis Program at the Cleveland Clinic. He also directs the Bronchiectasis Clinic in the Respiratory Institute.
1: Elliot, Welcome. Thank you very much for having me today. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you. So I'm gonna focus today on cystic
0: fibrosis and maybe just as a start, I know a lot of people know about cystic fibrosis, but also it's not, very common disease. So can you just give us a background of what cystic fibrosis really
1: is? Yeah, absolutely. So cystic fibrosis is a classic autosomal recessive genetic disease. It is a progressive disease and it requires two mutations in the CF gene. And So you have to get one from mom, one from dad. And then if a child inherits those, they'll be born with cystic fibrosis. And this genetic mutation leads to a dysfunctional process protein. And so that protein is a chloride channel that sits in the epithelial cells throughout the whole body. And it's just this simple little protein, but when it is dysfunctional, it wreaks havoc on the body. And so because you don't have this chloride channel functioning correctly, you end up with dehydrated airways in the lungs, the buildup of thick, sticky mucus. this also happens in the pancreas and other organs throughout the body. And pulmonary tends to be where the biggest impact occurs because of this dysfunction. And, And this is where we have patients that will experience exacerbations, increased coughing, shortness of breath. And this is where they'll end up requiring antibiotics, either Outpatient or inpatient for admission. And, you know, a long time ago, I used to not talk to patients about the pathophysiology of cystic fibrosis because I was really just focused on the pulmonary exacerbations. But now, with these new treatments that target, I think it's important to understand for everyone what the pathophysiology of cystic fibrosis is. So, tell us about the clinical
0: manifestations. How do these patients present and how do you make the diagnosis?
1: Yeah. So I take care of adults with cystic fibrosis. So most of the patients that I take care of, 98% were diagnosed within the first two years of life. Newborn screening now is universal in the United States. So when I make the diagnosis of CF in adults, it's in those 2% where it wasn't captured in childhood. And so these are, sometimes you'll hear the term atypical CF. I don't like that term, um, but you'll hear that term or mild. I also don't like that term because adults that are diagnosed with CF, I use the term delayed onset of symptoms. And so maybe during childhood, they were told that they had asthma. Maybe they had a chronic cough, but at some point something triggers and they start to become more productive. It's usually the pulmonary manifestations that'll bring them to me. Maybe they get a culture or bronchoscopy and they have pseudomonas. And so people start to put this together and then eventually they'll make their way to me and, I, and I'll make the diagnosis. It's incredibly important to make this diagnosis now because there are transformative treatments that we'll talk about later that these patients that are diagnosed as adults that are eligible for. And the last point I'll make about the adult diagnosis is that... Again, I use the term delayed diagnosis. We have great data that at some point, these adults, even though they've been quote unquote mild their whole life, will develop the lung disease that is just as severe as individuals that had CF diagnosed at birth.
0: Well, so I'm glad you brought that up because one of my questions was that we know that mainly cystic fibrosis is a childhood disease, you know, and then we know a lot of kids have it, but the adult population has been growing and now we have a lot of adults who survive and actually that's actually a testament to modern science and medicine that we were able to even with just basic treatments before even the development of the more transformative treatments lately that people are able to live into adulthood
1: can you tell us a little about that and you know how how that happened just over the last few years yeah, absolutely. So in 2017, I think it was, that was the first year in the United States where there were more adults with cystic fibrosis than there were kids. And so that was kind of a monumental year. And people have always thought of CF as a childhood disease. The vast majority of physicians taking care of CF patients are pediatric trained doctors. And just as I was coming through my training was really the first time where people were starting to focus on adult pulmonologists getting specific training in cystic fibrosis. And it's really a remarkable story of what's happened in cystic fibrosis over the last 75 to 100 years, where it was uniformly fatal in the first couple of years of life to now the average age before the impact of the modulators is around 50 years that CF patients are are living to. And what is really the initial therapies, again, prior to these transformative modulators, were treating the downstream effects of cystic fibrosis, so helping with airway clearance, so using hypertonic saline to help move mucus in the chest, using Dornase Alpha, which is an enzyme that breaks down mucus to help thin and help patients cough that out and that results in decreased exacerbations. Of course, the inhaled antibiotics, most are familiar, have heard the word Toby, inhaled tobramycin to help attack the chronic airway pseudomonal infection. So these targeting downstream airway infection, airway inflammation, airway obstruction, you know, that alone has really improved the length and the quality of CF patients' lives before we even talk about the impact of modulators. Yeah. So as we
0: focus on the adult CF, how is the take the care of the adult uh, CF patient different from the child with CF? I know because you know, still, the country as a whole is going through these transitions. Do they go to children's hospitals? they go to adult hospitals? Are they taken care by pediatricians? Are they taken care by adult docs? You know, tell us how the difference is and how the transition is working in general, nationally, and uh, at the clinic.
1: Yeah. So there's been a tremendous amount of focus on how you transition and transfer children with CF into the adult world. And so it is a very comprehensive process. We're fortunate to have the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which supports CF research and clinical care in the United States, provides roadmaps. And so you become an accredited cystic fibrosis center um, if you want to work with that. And part of that is you get training and, and commit to transitioning and transferring patients from the pediatric to the adult world. It's a very comprehensive process we actually start it at birth when there's a newborn child with cystic fibrosis someone from the adult team usually myself will go over and just introduce ourselves to the parents and say hey you'll be meeting me in uh, in 18 years and then we do transitions uh, throughout life so you know working with the kids and with their parents you know again reminding them you'll be moving to the adult program when you're 18 there's a lot of hope in CF transitions with the children how when do they start taking medications on their own when do they start, you know, calling for the refills, when did they start scheduling their own appointments, all these little things. And so, transfer from pediatric to adult program is one transition in their life that we work on the whole time. But certainly on the adult side, the extra pulmonary manifestations of CF become more prevalent in older age. 35% of adults have CF-related diabetes. You know, imagine having a chronic pulmonary disease Now you're adding another difficult to manage chronic disease with diabetes. They all require insulin. That happens in a third of our patients. So we have endocrinologists that come into our clinic and work with us. Transplant most commonly occurs in adults. Occasionally it's in the pediatric population, but again, our pediatricians are doing such a great job that the transition to advanced stage lung disease has been delayed. So we have the relationships with the transplant programs and work very closely with them as well.
0: Yeah, it sounds very comprehensive. Like, so there are lots of challenges, I guess, and opportunities if you look at it that way, transition from childhood to adulthood, but also having multidisciplinary team that is needed. So one of the things that you've done here at the clinic is build adult cystic fibrosis program that has really grown in leaps and bounds since you started it. So tell us about what goes into building a CF program, you know, and uh, what you've been through as a, your journey into getting to, be, to run an adult CF program.
1: Yeah. So I was very fortunate to have wonderful training during my fellowship. Um, I worked with a gentleman named Mike Boyle, who's now the president and CEO of the CF Foundation. But he was one of the first pulmonologists on the adult side that really focused on this idea of adult CF care. He was at Johns Hopkins and transitioned a lot of the pediatric CF patients. Like you were talking about earlier, you had pediatricians that were taking care of CF patients that were 30, 35 years old because there weren't any physicians trained in how to care for adults that kind of did this and so he did a lot of that process and he also did benchmarking that was going on while I was a fellow so he went out and looked at top functioning adult CF centers and wanted to understand what were the characteristics of those centers and so I got a tremendous amount of of knowledge of just how to run a CF program on a day-to-day basis but to really run a high-quality CF program and so what uh, I did is really follow that model uh, when I came to uh, Cleveland Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic has the infrastructure. It really is a great place to be able to build a program, not just CF, but any program. You know, I've I've said this before, uh, really have appreciated the, the leadership removing barriers to building a successful program. If you have someone that's hardworking, patients come into the Cleveland Clinic as well. And so so that's what we did to start the program and then start to build it. So it is a comprehensive team that we put together to, to do that.
0: So who do you have on your team and the CF program? I know the physicians
1: clearly, but you know, who else is part of this team? Key members of the team, uh, we have a social worker. So I always say the social worker is the most important part of the team if our 100% of our patients have insurance. If you don't have insurance, you just will not be able to. You need access to the medications. You need access to clinic visits. You need access to hospitalization. So our social worker works tirely at making sure that all our patients have access to insurance. And also, there's lots of programs out there specific for cystic fibrosis, carve-outs, even within the state of Ohio, Medicaid programs that are usually for children that adults with CF get access to. And so, she's expert in getting all of our patients access to all those programs and helping with the cost of medications. We have a dietitian. So, CF is a systemic disorder. A lot of our patients have issues with low weight, malabsorption, and so uh, she works closely with, with them on those issues. And it's nice. In a clinic visit, they'll see me and then they'll see the dietitian, And so she can kind of focus on, on those issues. Respiratory therapy, of course, is absolutely vital. All of our patients meet with the respiratory therapist one to two times per year. Their airway clearance regimens are extremely important to help maintain their lung health over time. And so again, as a pulmonologist, I talk about that, I focus on that, but like anything, the respiratory therapist has a different way of, of approaching that with them and often provide a significant additional benefit to the patients in terms of their chronic regimen. We have nurses in the clinic, nurse practitioner that helps, and a a program coordinator. So there's a lot that goes into a CF clinic visit, what we're trying to accomplish over the course of a year. And so we have uh, a meeting once a week where we go through every patient that's coming into clinic, what labs do they need, uh, what test results do we have since the last time, and and really uh, be able to provide a high-quality experience for our patients to keep them as healthy as possible.
0: That's great. Yeah, Thank you for all this background. I think all kind of leads us to what you mentioned initially in the conversation about the newest drugs to treat cystic fibrosis and how they are really transformative and modulate the treatment. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about What the traditional treatment has been, which you mentioned a little bit, just to kind of in contrast how these new drugs have made a huge difference.
1: Yeah. So as I stated before, the previous drugs were treating the downstream effects of cystic fibrosis. And when we do clinical trials, they would reduce exacerbations. They would improve lung function. And so these are kind of the main outcomes that we look at in cystic fibrosis, and they were important treatments for our patients, you know, average age is almost 50 years just with these treatments alone, so tremendous improvements. But really with the modulators, the newest class of medications, the way that they work, they get at the root cause of CF, they help fix that protein that is abnormal, the chloride channel, allow it to function normally. Not normally, but almost uh, normally. It feels like normal with some of the improvements my patients have had. And it is, you know, people use the word game changer. People use the word transformative all the time in in medicine, but this truly is that type of therapy. I make the analogy. It's like insulin is for, for diabetics. That's what these modulators are for about 90% of our CF patients. And in the clinical trials, we saw dramatic reductions in pulmonary exacerbations. We saw FEV1 improvements, absolute improvements of 15%, which just hadn't been seen before. And what's been really remarkable is that when these treatments have come out into the real world practice, I think it's pretty rare that you see kind of what you saw in a clinical trial setting replicated, if not maybe even a little bit better than, than what you saw in the clinical trial you're seeing in real real life. And that's what what we've been experiencing.
0: So what's the reason for them being transformative? Maybe we can go into a little more detail of what they actually do at the, at the gene level, at the receptor level, you know,
1: how do they work? Yeah. So they work at the protein level. So mm-hmm. because of the CF mutations, the chloride channel, when it's made, again, there's 2000 different mutations. So we kind of break things up into five different classes of how the protein is dysfunctional. But the most common is that it's misfolded. And so it comes out and you have this chloride channel that's that's misfolded. And so when you take this medication, these modulators, how they work is they bind to the protein And normally, the cell destroys the protein because they're like, this is abnormal, it should be destroyed. So by binding to the protein, it prevents it from being destroyed. And then it makes its way up to the cell surface. And interestingly, even though it's, Uh, misfolded, it'll still have some activity, so it doesn't work at 100%, but there's some activity. And then the second role of the modulators, it actually increases the ability of this chloride channel to work. And so by increasing the number of chloride channels at the epithelial level and increasing how well they work, there's enough chloride channel function that gets to about 50% of what we would consider normal. And at that, even at 50%, you have dramatic improvements airway surface. Uh, Liquid becomes hydrated. That means less infection that tends to accumulate there. Mucus moves better, less airway obstruction. And and downstream, clinically, we see that as less exacerbations and and improvements in uh, FEV1.
0: So we see less admissions also these patients to the hospital. That was a big deal with them, yeah.
1: Yes. So for everyone else that experienced COVID in 2020, our CF patients also had the impact of Trikafta, which is the newest CFTR modulator that was clinically available to patients in November of 2019. So literally three or four months before the pandemic. And we went from 10 to 12 CF patients a day in the hospital to literally zero or one. I mean, it was a dramatic drop and this was seen all across the United States, and so this started to happen even before COVID uh, was kicking in, in in March or so, but throughout the pandemic, fortunately, again, we would have had 10, 11 patients a day in the hospital, and we had zero for a lot of the pandemic and sometimes even one. So they weren't being exposed to other patients with COVID in the, in the hospital. So some of that reduction certainly was related to COVID, but the, I think the majority of it was related to the Trikafta.
0: So does the, do these medications work for everyone or they're only with certain mutations, but not others?
1: Yeah, so certain mutations are required to respond to the therapy. Right now, it's about 90-91% of all CF patients in the United States over the age of 12 are eligible for this therapy. And so some mutations result in no chloride channel being made it all. So stop mutations result in no chloride channel. So those patients just don't have the ability to respond to these medications. So we're looking at gene therapies for those patients because we want 100% of our patients to have access to some medication that really gets at the root cause of CF.
0: You mentioned the COVID pandemic, course, it's hard to have a podcast these days without (laughs) talking about the COVID pandemic. But If I heard you correctly, you're saying that the COVID pandemic actually helped patients with CF stay out of the hospital. You know, that seems paradoxical to me. Can you explain that? And you you and I have talked about this. Uh,
1: Yeah. And so interestingly, CF patients uh, have actually done better than the uh, general population when it comes to kind of their outcomes when they've been infected with COVID. I think there's several reasons for that. Number one, initially, when... CF patients were talking about this virus, you know, in January, February that they had had heard about. And so certainly when we started to see it in March, they were already, you know, they're professional social distancers. They've always masked when they've gone out in in public to prevent picking up viruses and, and other infections and have kind of kept tight quarters with who they spend time with. People are sick, they'll avoid spending time with them. And so I think that when they did get exposed to COVID, the amount of the viral load was much less than maybe the general population. There's a theory that maybe the nebulized medications help prevent or clear out any viruses. It moves from the sinuses down into the lungs where a lot of the morbidity from, from COVID occurs. So I think in, in some ways we've seen the CF patients do better, probably for a combination of, of those things.
0: That's great. That's actually, um, it tells you how social distancing and masking does really work as kind of a natural experiment, I guess, yeah. these patients with that. So the other area I think uh, I'd like you to share with our listeners is the uh, lung transplant. So in, in a couple of senses, one as you say, these new disease modulators are improving the outcome so much, are they affecting eligibility for transplant or the need for transplant, I would have to say. Uh, maybe you should start with that, and then we can talk about, you know, what are we doing to improve them getting on the transplant list for those who want it,
1: yeah. Yeah, so again, there's been dramatic uh, improvements in patients with advanced stage lung disease. So the randomized control trials, the phase three studies, of course, don't include transplant eligible patients in their studies for understandable reasons, and so this is a common thing we see in CF, and so FEV1 less than 40 is kind of the the cutoff for a lot of the studies, and so you know, when you introduce these medications after they get approved into those with advanced stage lung disease, you don't know if it's going to work as well as those who have higher lung function. You don't know if there's going to be more side effects, and so you're kind of concerned about that. So France did a fantastic study. Every single patient that had advanced stage lung disease that wanted to get access to Trikafta had to get it through a compassionate, similar to a compassionate use program. So they were able to track every patient when they started it, when they got the medication. And in their study, they saw a dramatic drop. There were over 50 patients that were in what they called the transplant pathway, you know, either getting evaluated for transplant or were on the list and that dropped after uh, the introduction of Trikafta to two patients. So seeing patients come off of the list, halt their transplant workup. And so getting just- Getting off the list for being better, not, you know, because usually you're yeah,
0: getting I, off the list because they either I, die or they get sicker. Yeah. This is like an unusual, they're getting
1: off the list because they're improving. Yeah. Exactly. And and uh, thank you for clarifying that. And we had the exact same experience here at, at Cleveland Clinic. We were actually going to write up our experience, but then the whole country of, of France published that. But we had 10 patients that were in the lung transplant pathway come off of the transplant Transplant list. Uh, we had m- multiple patients, you know, st- stop coughing. They stop bringing up mucus. You know, they were looking at a transplant the next couple of months, and and now they uh, have their lives back. It's just been truly uh, remarkable for for those patients that have had that experience. And so we're going to continue to follow these patients closely and see how long this benefit lasts for. You know, even with the modulator, CF is a chronic progressive disease, but hopefully with this therapy, we've significantly slowed down that progression, especially among those with advanced stage lung disease.
0: Wonderful. So really, it's been uh, very informative. Thank you for sharing all your insights with us. Just maybe just to select on some of the key points that we addressed during this podcast. One that really cystic fibrosis has become more of an adult disease it's still of course kids have it but you know we have more adults now with the disease than kids adult cf requires like a multidisciplinary team to take care of them it's not just a lung disease it's really a multi system disease that you know it requires attention by a group of professionals and really i think the key thing that i learned is that the newer disease-modulating therapies have transformed the disease. You know, and, and again, you, we don't use the word transformed lightly here. They reduced exacerbations, reduced hospitalizations, and they are getting people get, to get off the trans, lung transplant list for being better. You know, that's uh, just amazing progress in the last few years in
1: cystic fibrosis. Anything else you wanna add to our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, so I always like to put a plug in, especially now with these new therapies, if you have a patient that you think may have cystic fibrosis, you know, I tell the fellows, the house staff, upper lobe bronchiectasis uh, with pseudomonas, Send them to me, you know, think about CF because, you know, we, we diagnose about five or six adults a year uh, with CF and really uh, for those patients can significantly improve, improve their lives. Yeah, I see your point. It's
0: imperative now to identify it. And in the past, identifying it or not, the treatment does not change much. Just, you know, postural drainage, antibiotics. But now actually, since there's disease-specific therapies, identifying a patient yeah. at any age is critical because you may improve them uh, quite a bit. That makes uh, sense. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. I appreciate you participating. And thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Again, this is uh, Rai Dwight, uh, your host and the chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And my guest today was Elliot Desenbrook, the founder and director of our adult cystic fibrosis program. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Exchange. For more stories and information from Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, you can follow us on Twitter at Clee Clinic Lungs or follow me at Rai MD. Thank you.